Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin at the 25th verse. When you get there, please stand with me. Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin at verse 25, and we'll probably read down to the 37th verse. Luke chapter 10, begin at verse 25, down to verse 37. I'm preaching on the subject of being in touch with the untouchables. In touch with the untouchables from Luke chapter 10, begin at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer. And I think all of you know that when it says lawyer in the Bible, it's not a one, not a one who's practicing in the judicial system. This is a lawyer of the Jewish law. This is a Jew. He's a Jewish lawyer. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. That's Jesus saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see a doctrinal problem there? Inherit. And that, that was Jewish mentality. You inherit eternal life. And uh, Jesus said, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. We already said that the Ten Commandments are broken down into two categories, upward in reverence to God, outward in, re in relationship to man. And Jesus said, on these two commandments, hang all the, all the prophets. So he's right, because Jesus says in the 28th verse, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. And Jesus is about to show him that he's not doing it. Verse 29. But he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Did you ever ask a question and afterwards we're sorry that you asked it? That's what we're seeing here. And Jesus answered and said, well, here's the master. This is the master bringing the rubber to the road. I mean, he, he's going right between the eyes here. And we'll show that in just a moment. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance they came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Of course, that's a Jewish priest. Verse 32. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by it on the other side. And of course, a Levite is the tribe, one of the 12 tribes of the Jewish people. But watch verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, and we'll talk about the Samaritans in just a moment. Watch terminology. I've already said this week that God doesn't put words in the Bible just to fill up pages. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pens and gave them to the lost and said, gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And so whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now here's the question. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now I truly believe that the, uh, the lawyer didn't want to give the answer, but he was obligated. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless. Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, we thank you for all that we've experienced just today and especially just tonight. Thank you for Brother Reynolds' video. Wow. I can imagine being 
a lost sinner in a foreign land, seeing that on Facebook, and how the story of the crucifixion of Christ would touch me. Bless that video. Bless Brother Reynolds' ministry and all the missionaries that are with us this week. Now, fathers, we come to you the last night of, of missions conference, and the, the really importance of the night is the collection of the faith promise. I pray that your perfect will be accomplished. Father, hide your servant behind the cross and use him for your glory and honor. May your word always accomplish that for which it's sent forth. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. In touch with the untouchables. How do we reach out to the so-called unreachable? How do we cast out to the outcasts? How do we love that which we find hard to love? How can we be in touch with the untouchables? My gypsy people go by different names all over the world. The true name, the politically correct name, is the Roma people. You would say Roma, R-O-M-A. I would say Roma. We're a guttural language. The word Rome just means man, and specifically gypsy man. But throughout the world, they go by different names. In Romania, they're called the Tsigan. In Germany, they're called the Zigoina. In Greece, they're called the Giftos. In Spain, they're called the Gitanos. And all of those terms have the same meaning. The untouchables or the undesirables or the unwanted or the disposable throwaway people. At one time, the, it was thought of the gypsy people in Eastern Europe that they had no soul. Therefore, they could not be redeemed. I remember the first time I went to Eastern Europe. I was walking down a dirt road in Bihor County, Romania. And uh, when a Romanian woman came out of her house and began throwing stones at me in dirt, screaming at me in the top of her lungs, I looked to the national and I said, why is she so upset with me? And the national says, she believes that you bringing the gospel to the gypsies is like throwing pearls before swine and that you're going to bring a curse on the Romanian people. Boy, do we prove her wrong. Amen. And uh, all these names, matter of fact, the term gypsy is derogatory to a gypsy. You walk up to a gypsy and say, are you a gypsy? They'd be offended. But if you walked up to a gypsy and said, uh, are you a Roma? They'd say, whoa, how do you know that? And matter of fact, the, the British gave us the name gypsy because they thought we came from Egypt. Therefore, the little Egyptians and it evolved to gypsies. We get the phrase, I got gypped from that. And so uh, we, 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 the names of the gypsy people in India where they came from, they're called the Banjaras. They're on the lowest of the Hindi caste system. Uh, and uh, linguists and anthropologists believe that they left India because they were the lowest of the Hindi caste system, couldn't die and reincarnate enough to climb the totem pole. Our organization, Roma, Roma Outreach Mission Association, is an organization about reaching marginalized peoples all over the world, not just the gypsies. On our way to the major mission fields of the world, I'm all for going to the major mission fields of the world that we have represented here this week, but I'm also for reaching those on the highways and the hedges Jesus told us to reach them. But how can we be in touch with the untouchable? And in context, the question is asked in the 29th verse, but he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And of course the response is, he tells them the story of the Samaritan. And in that story, we see that Jesus asked him the question. He says, which of these three, that's the Jewish priest, that's the Levite, uh, which of these, and the Samaritan, which of these three showed, uh, which of these three think as thou was neighbor? Remember, who is my neighbor? Which of these three think as thou was neighbor of him that fell among the thieves? 
And he had to respond because in the story, it's the good Samaritan. He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus to him, go and do thou likewise. Jesus referring to the Samaritan as the hero of the story was an insult to this Jewish lawyer. Hello. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. If you know anything about the Samaritans, we kind of called them the half-breeds of the Hebrew people. They polluted the Jewish bloodline. They, they separated his ten tribes, went to the north, and started all different kinds of different types of worship. And so the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. Matter of fact, John chapter 4 verse 9 says that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But in John chapter 4 verse 4, it says about Christ that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, if you know anything about your geography at the time of Christ, from where he was to where he was going, he really didn't have to go through Samaria, except for the fact there was going to be a woman at a well that needed to hear the gospel. And so the Samaritans got religion. Matter of fact, in the Great Commission, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Watch now, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the parts, uttermost parts of the earth. I think maybe one of the apostles might have said to another apostle, did he say Samaria? Because they were hated peoples. How do we reach out to those people that we don't like? And the Samaritan, watch now church, is the person or people that you don't like nor want to associate with. And Jesus said in verse 37 that we should go and do likewise as the Good Samaritan. How can we as a church be in touch? In our story, there are three categories of people. I'm going to give you three letter ends. Number one, there's the needy, untouchable victim. Number two, there's the neglectful, religious hypocrite. And number three, there's the neighborly, compassionate outcast. It was the outcast who came to the need of this one who lie half dead. Now, what did exactly the Good Samaritan do, and how can we follow his example? Number one, he walked where the untouchable walked. Like the victim in our story, the untouchables have been robbed. Who has robbed him? None other than Satan. For John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What that tells me is that Christ our Savior wants to restore to you and I what Satan has stolen, what Satan has destroyed, what Satan has killed. When I see a video like I saw tonight, it reminds me, I'm so glad I'm a preacher of the gospel when I see a video like that. I'm so glad that I've given my life to promote the cause of Jesus Christ domestically and around the world simultaneously as Pastor Kevin does. I'm so glad I'm a part of the plan of God's work. He walked where the untouchable walked. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. Uh, it doesn't say anything here much about the one who was lying half dead. Well, I believe that he more than likely was Jewish. Well, if he was Jewish, why was he an untouchable? Because he was half dead. The Bible says in Numbers 19.11, He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Now he was in such a dire situation that as they came and walked by on the other side, came and looked, they weren't going to touch this man because they would have been ostracized from the synagogue or the temple had they touched him. 
The religious elite passes by on the other side. Oh, but a Samaritan had compassion. He came alongside with pity, for that is the definition of compassion. Look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion him. In the 33rd verse, we have components of the mission mandate of God upon our life. Number one, in verse 33, he said he journeyed. That's the goal of missions. We heard the testimony of Brother Rich how he took a survey trip to Zimbabwe. He journeyed to Zimbabwe. The missionaries in this room have journeyed to the areas. They went to see and Jesus told us to go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. It is C.T. Studd who is quoted as saying, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. I believe God has put me there working with my precious gypsy people. Grabbing them by the nap of the neck before they slip off into a Christless eternity. So he journeyed. That's one component of the Great Commission. Number two, verse 33 says he came where he was. That's the proximity of missions. To come where they are. The Bible says of Paul in Acts 16, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia praying, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. We have the responsibility to go where they are. It's the first word of the Great Commission. It means put one foot in front of the other and go. Whether it's here where you live, on the streets where you live, where you pump your gas, buy your groceries, or around the world is what missions focuses on. It's the going of the Great Commission. In 19, I started the Gypsy Ministry here in 1990, 1990 the first Friday after Thanksgiving, 1990. We came here with about three quarters of our support because we were domestic missionaries. We could continue with deputation. That's why specifically the Gypsy Outreach meet on Thursday and Sunday afternoons. That was my design so I can be in other churches on Wednesdays and within a two, three hour drive of Cleveland, I could be churches Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And so we started that ministry in 1990. There wasn't anyone in this area of the gypsies that were saved. Many of them told me, you're not going to make it here. These gypsies are not, gypsies told me, you're not going to reach them to Christ. Well, we, we showed them 33 years down the road. Here we are. But in 1995, I received a telephone call from a Romanian national who was pastoring a Romanian Baptist church in Akron, Ohio. He had told me that he was raised with my people in Bihor County, Romania. And he invited Brother Evans, Lawrence Evans, for those who know him. Sally was alive. Of course, Dolly was alive then too. He invited us to his home to see a homemade video of the gypsies of Thinker, Romania. Pastor Kevin, Pastor Pete, uh, Rich Gibson, others I think maybe in this room were on that, were came to see them. And so when we saw the video, the reports of, of the living conditions of anybody under communist uh, Europe was not out, let alone the gypsy people. And when we saw the homemade video of the gypsy people of Romania, our heart was pierced and we knew that we had to go firsthand to see it for ourselves. Pastor Evans and I made our plans. A matter of fact, uh, gypsies all over the world are bilingual. They speak the indigenous language of the host nation and they speak, of course, the gypsy language. But many times they'll integrate indigenous words of the host nation. I'll say maybe something to Liz in, I'll say five Gypsy words in five English in one sentence. And I said to Brother Evans, I said, listen, Brother Evans, we, we can't speak English in our dialect of Gypsy. So he and I practiced for 30 days. 
His grandfather was alive at that time. And so when we got stumped on a word, we went to grandpa and said, hey, grandpa, what's the word for that? And so we practiced. And so we were ready to go. We took, matter of fact, there was direct flights from Cleveland, Ohio to Budapest, Hungary back then. How sweet it was. And uh, we, uh, Brother Evans and I, we, we, we packed, we went. And um, lo and behold, the, the, and the national had told God, he made a promise to God, that if communism ever fell, he was going to go back to Eastern Europe and plant churches amongst the gypsies because he was raised with them. So he raised his support and he got to Romania in May of 1995. We followed him in, in June of 1995. When we went in, to our dismay, he didn't go to those rural gypsies that we saw in the video. He went to the big city. We didn't want to be with the gypsies in the big city. We wanted to be with those gypsies that we saw in the video. So we took uh, uh, public transportation from the Budapest airport into western Romania and was dumped literally in the middle of nowhere. We had no car. There were no restaurants back then. This is post-communism Romania. And uh, uh, my sister Liz had sent with me two three-pound Hickory Farm beef sticks. You know the ones you get at Christmas time? And I took with me a case of Raymond chicken noodle soup. You know the ones that are 100 for a dollar? Not really. But they're light. They're easy to pack. I took with me, Pastor Pete, uh, a collapsible Sterno stove. I didn't know you couldn't take Sterno on an airplane, and I did, Brother Reynolds. And that's what Brother Evans and I ate every day. There were no restaurants. We had beef stick. We had uh, chicken, uh, Raymond chicken noodle soup. We got some of the fresh grown tomatoes there, greatest tomatoes I've ever eaten in the world. And some of the fresh baked bread from the bakeries. We stayed in an old broken down boarding house. If we had water, it was cold. Uh, I don't think Lawrence bathed for 30 days. <laughs> don't tell him that I said that. And he decided to grow a beard while he was there, by the way. And, uh, and we didn't have screens in the windows. So every night we had a lot of visitors. <laughs> but we didn't care about the living conditions. We were doing Acts chapter 2 mission work. And so every day, Brother Evans and I, we'd grab our backpacks and we'd walk off two or three kilometers to the different villages. There's no such thing as a gypsy village or a gypsy town. Every village or town has a parcel of land that was given to the gypsies by the communist government, always on the outskirts of town near the railroad tracks, near the city dumps. So when we went to the small villages, it was easy to find those parcels of land. But remember, the gypsies we saw in the video were from Tinka, Romania. Tinka was a town of 2,500 people at that time. So when we approached the town, we didn't know where that parcel of land was. I spoke no Romanian, so I couldn't ask a national. But by the sovereignty of God, there was a little gypsy boy, about six years old, as we entered the town, and he was gazing into a storefront window. I knew he was gypsy because he was absolutely filthy from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. I know because I saw the soles of his feet. And I said to him in the gypsy language, Kaile Homa! Well, where are the gypsies? We had no visible Bibles. There was no way. I didn't wear a big cross around my neck. He didn't know that we were Baptist preachers, missionaries. I Maybe he assumed that we were Americans. But he led us by the hand, clear across town to a small one-room house. And when I say small one-room house, it, house, it couldn't have been bigger than 14 foot by 14 foot maximum. When he came to the door of the house, he didn't knock. He just pushed the door quietly and tiptoed in. I looked at Brother Evans and said, I guess we'll follow in the same way. And so we tiptoed in too. Nobody lived in this house. This house was designated 
as a house of prayer. And the gypsies would assemble there regularly to pray. When we walked in, there were 10 or 12 gypsies on their knees in a circle praying. They did not know we had entered. As I said, gypsies are bilingual all over the world. I want you to see the sovereignty of God in this. One man prayed out loud. Had he prayed in the Romanian language, I would not have understood a word of his prayer, but the sovereignty of God had him pray in the gypsy language. And this was his prayer. God, send us someone. Send, I give myself goosebumps every time I tell this story. God, send us someone to tell us the truth of the gospel, for we are very confused. Now, to understand that prayer, Brother Reynolds, this is six years after the fall of communism. And in those six years, every cult and his brother was coming from the West, confusing these primitive people, telling them if they ate pork, they couldn't go to heaven. Telling them that if they didn't speak in tongues, they couldn't go to heaven. And telling them that if they didn't worship on Saturday, they couldn't go to heaven. And you know the doctrines that go with those beliefs. So his prayer was genuine. He said his amen. He stood to his feet. He opened his eyes. And without exaggeration, I'm standing this close in front of him. And I boldly said to him in the gypsy language, I'm fourth generation gypsy from Eastern Europe. We're separated by a little pond called the Atlantic Ocean, and yet I spoke the exact same dialect. And I said to him these words, we are the answer to that prayer. How would you like to get your prayers answered that fast? I presented the gospel to him. He and several others knelt and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. The man was a professional musician. He had his accordion by his side. He would play the accordion at gypsy weddings. Gypsies are very emotional people. They laugh hard, they cry hard, they fight hard, and they celebrate hard. And Sonny said, <laughs> So he grabbed his accordion, he went outside, he began to play. And like the Pied Piper, gypsies were coming out from all over the area. I think they thought there was a party going on. And there on the dirt roads of Tinka, Romania, I preached the gospel. Many were saved that day. And we had our first baptism of August of 1995. And the man who I heard praying is a man by the name of Giza Feketa. He has stood on this platform right here several years ago. He is now the national pastor of four of our churches. Amen. You need to go where they're at. Amen. That's the whole point. See, he came where he was. He came in proximity. We went in proximity. Who was all that? Did, did, was I some intelligent, wise, supernatural person said, I'm going to go reach Gita Feketa with the gospel. Who orchestrated all that? God. The sovereignty of God in that specific day. You need to go where that, that's the proximity of missions. As a matter of fact, Gita tells in his testimony that he had been witness to many As a matter of fact, he was going to a Pentecostal church, non-gypsy church, and they actually had a four-foot wall that separated the gypsies from the non-gypsies. He would say to his wife who had gotten saved, is this what you want me to see? Is this called Christianity? Is this called church? Because the gypsies are the Samaritans to the Eastern Europeans. He tells me in his testimony that when he heard the gospel in his own language, it was like God cornered him. He couldn't run anymore. 
We need to go where they're at. Now I want you to see the third thing. Watch now. He came, watch now. Here's what, here's what he did. He came where they was, watch now, and, and, he, and he saw, watch what it says, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, that's the evaluation of missions. Brother Rich went to Zimbabwe, and he saw. He saw the need. It's the evaluation. And, and uh, Jeremiah says, Mine eye affected my heart because of the daughters of my city. And watch now, verse 33, and had compassion on him. Watch now, that's the action of missions. Compassion means to come alongside with pity. Jude says it like this, of some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Watch this phrase, hating even the garment sparted by the flesh. Whoever your untouchable is, whoever it is that you don't like, don't want to associate with, you don't have to love the outside. It's tainted. Help me. But you have to love the inside, the ever-living, never-dying soul that belongs to God. Do you know that the soul has no ethnicity? The soul has no skin color. The soul has no economic bracket. It is said of Jesus in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he saw them fainting, scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Look at the world through the eyes of Christ. He doesn't see him saved. He sees him lost. Sheep having no shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. Now, how far did his compassion move him? You saw it in Brother Reynolds' video. It caused him to carry your cross, my cross, up the Via Della Rosa to Calvary's mountain where he bled and died. So number one, here the Samaritan walked where the untouchable walked. Number two, the good Samaritan began to think what the outcast was thinking. You see, the good Samaritan, the Samaritan knows what it's like to be rejected. Just like that Samaritan woman at the well, for she surprised that Jesus is speaking to her. I read a book one time entitled, Out of Their Face and Into Their Shoes. To think what the outcasts think. And the outcast thinks that his situation is hopeless. It's like the psalmist who writes in Psalm 142 verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. That could be the, the mentality of this half dead. Imagine what it's like to be a Ukrainian refugee caught up in between two borders in a no man's land. Everything that you've held dear to your life, gone. Your home, your infrastructure, no clean drinking water, no sanitation, no electricity. Banks closed, hospitals closed, schools closed, police departments destroyed. Imagine what that is like. You need to think what they think. That's why we're trying to do what we're doing in the Ukraine. Imagine what it's like to be a Christian in a Muslim nation. We have a gypsy ministry in Pakistan. They have two strikes against them. Number one, they're Christians in a Muslim nation. Number two, they're gypsy Christians in a Muslim nation. They actually put the name of their church, so-and-so Baptist church, on the sign of the building. And I said, are you guys sure you want to do that? And they did it. They and I meet with them every Friday morning. I'm not their pastor. I don't believe in satellite pastoring. But imagine what it's like to be a Christian in a Muslim nation. Imagine what it's like to be in prison all of your life or most of your life. Simone had been, my precious wife Simone, has been seek, singing in the prison system of Florida for 20 years. Not as an inmate. She comes from the outside in. 
And she was going in with another preacher and his wife, and the preacher moved out of the area, and she indirectly asked me if I would volunteer for the Florida Correctional Volunteer System. Now, I've never been arrested, but I should have been. Uh, and so I filled out that questionnaire, Pastor Kevin, with fear and interpretation. And, and I, was, I was approved. And so Simone and I go in the prison system every Friday. The incarcerated. Most of the times they're forgotten. The chaplain told me, he said, Brother Stevens, the prison system is not for rehabilitation. We're just punishing them. We're getting them off the streets. That's not his mentality. That's the prison system mentality. And man, they just eat out of my hands, preacher. I love preaching in the prisons because it's a captivated audience. Did you get that? What could the rejected half-dead been thinking? This is the end. I'm going to drown in a pool of my own blood. There's no hope. And out of the corner of an eye, he sees a priest. He says, oh, thank God, a priest. But he doesn't help. Hope gone. And then out of the corner of an eye, he sees a Levite. Surely, surely a Levite of the tribe of Moses. Surely he'll help me. And he says, thank God, a Levite. But the Levite don't help. Hope gone. And then out of the corner of the eye, he says, a Samaritan. And he says, oh, no, a Samaritan. But oh, yes, a Samaritan. Finally hope and finally rescue. Did you know that we've never coined the phrase a good Roman? We've never coined the phrase a good Jew, but we have coined the phrase a good Samaritan, have we not? That's where it comes from right here. You know, we need to think what the outcast thinks. I have a philosophy that I live by. And I live by this philosophy that everybody's got a story. Be careful how you treat people, because everybody's got a story. Don't go by the outside. Go by what their, their story just might be. I preached at the Gypsy Church several years ago, and uh, my son-in-law, Frankie, went home to be with the Lord two years ago. I think he was 56 years old. 46 years old. He went home to be with the Lord. That was Tiffany's husband. And, and, and I, I, I love Frankie, and he loved me, but Frankie was a hothead. And uh, one day I was preaching and to the gypsy church, and I said, remember, folks, everybody's got a story. Be careful how you treat people. So Frankie calls me one day, and he says, Dad, I'm so glad that you taught me that everybody's got a story. He says, I was at the Outback Steakhouse, and the waitress that was waiting on us was doing a terrible job, horrible job. And I was ready to rail into her dad, he says. But I remembered what you said, that everybody's got a story. And I didn't say anything. He said several minutes had passed or whatever, and the waitress came to the table with tears flowing down her face. And she said, I'm sorry. I know I did a terrible job here today. But my 16-year-old son just committed suicide yesterday. Now, I don't think I could go to work if my 16-year-old son had committed suicide. But maybe she had to go to work. And Frankie says, thanks, Dad, for teaching me. Everybody has a story. We need to be considerate and think what the untouchable, the outcast, those who are unreached, what do they think? What does this half-dead think? So we need to, to think. With, but number three, we need to feel what the unreached feels. He was feeling real physical pain. He was sensing real heartache and loneliness. He was experiencing real disappointment. 
to feel what our Roma feel in Eastern Europe. Nothing breaks my heart more. Two things break my heart. A man dying without Christ and a child going to bed hungry. That's why we have three feeding centers where we feed 300 very hungry gypsy kids one meal a day, five days a week. You say, why'd you do seven days? You do the math. It's a lot of meals. We're not just giving them physical food. We're giving them spiritual food. And these gypsy kids are getting saved and their parents are getting saved. I heard one Haitian missionary say, it's very difficult to preach the gospel to growling stomachs. They're not concerned about the things of the spirit. They're concerned about the things of the flesh. And in John chapter 6, Jesus fed them. And then he said, labor not for the meat that perishes. To feel what our, our Roma untouchables feel in Eastern Europe. It was Herman Melville who said, Do not presume to well-housed, well-warmed, and well-fed to criticize the poor. Here this, this untouchable, this half-dead was facing genuine fear. A fear of, fear of being lost in blinding darkness with no one to help him. We need to feel what the unreached feels. And then finally, we need to love what we find hard to love. The verse 33, verse 30, we said he had compassion on him. The word compassion is made up of two words. Come, it means to come along. And the word passion means to come alongside with pity. It's to come where they are and to have compassion. You see, love has action. Love does things. For God so loved the world that he did absolutely nothing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting. Love has action. You just can't say you love. You have to have action with your love. Watch now. Compassion is the feet to our love. Love is what we have. Compassion is what we do. You say you love Jesus. You say you, cared about, you care about the loss. And then here's what compassion does. It'll cause you to fill out a faith promise commitment card. Thank you. Find what we love, what we find hard to love. Love has action. Uh, Simone and I will celebrate four years of marriage, August 25th. Ever since we've been dating, and we've been dating since uh, October 4th, 2019, or 2018, that would be more appropriate. And every Monday morning, Wherever I am in the world, fresh flowers are delivered to Simone. Wherever I am. If I'm home, I go get them myself. Whether I'm Eastern Europe, I have a connection with a florist in Florida. They know me by first name. <laughs> they have my credit card. Why? Because love has action. It doesn't stop there. Our anniversary is August 25th. Simone doesn't just get an anniversary card August 25th. She gets an anniversary card the 25th of every month. You guys are in trouble now. <laughs> we started dating October 4th. So Simone gets a card not just on October 4th celebrating our anniversary, but she gets a card the 4th of every month celebrating our anniversary. Well, you do that because you're newlyweds. Did I do it for Dolly too, Liz? Love has action. Love does things. That's what's going to motivate you to fill out the faith promise card. Amen. How much do you really love Jesus? 
What are you willing to do for him? Especially when you're reminded of the cross as we've seen the visual because what my eye has seen has affected my heart. What will you write on that card? What were you thinking about writing? What were you praying about writing? What will you fill out? Because of your love for Jesus. Watch now. We're supposed to love what we find hard to love. Now, I'm going to make a confession. There was a specific group of people that I have a hard time loving. Had a hard time loving. I'm not going to tell you who they are because I've gotten victory over it. But I didn't want to associate them with them. I didn't want to be with them. I didn't want to be around them. Before I was saved, I used to talk about them. And I prayed. And I said, God, you're going to have to help me with this. I do not have that luxury not to love someone. And so God helped me with an actual, human, real situation. I was an assistant pastor of a church in Southwest Ohio. My pastor and I had a perfect working relationship. He would say jump, and I would say how high. There were only two things that we disagreed on. He hated our cat, and he hated our cat so much, Pastor Pete, that he gave us a book one time entitled 99 Good Reasons for a Dead Cat. But the feeling was mutual. He had a dog that we despised. And I love dogs. Why did you despise his dog, preacher? Because he had a stupid dog. It was a border collie called King. And I love dogs. We have an 80-pound pit bull that's 14 years old. His name is Dozer. I love him. And so one day, now remember, that God's teaching me a lesson. One day, pastor's taking his vacation. We live in the church parsonage on the church property. He does not. And he says, Brother Walter, I'm taking a vacation, and I need somebody to dog sit. <laughs> and so I love my pastor, so reluctantly, I said, sure, preacher, we'll, we'll take care of King. So I thought, we got a chain link fence. I thought you just put him in the fence and put him some bowls and some water and some food. And when you see the bowl empty, you go put some more food in it. That was it. So one day, I'm looking out the kitchen window, and it's raining. And King is getting wet. I said, wow, I, I can't let him get wet. But we don't have a doghouse. I'm not going to bring him in the house. But we have a shed. And you know what the shed looks like, right? So I said to my oldest son, George, I said, George, me and Mike are going to clean out the shed. We're going to make room, give us some time, and then bring King over. Now, before Pastor left, he said, Brother Walter, be careful King has a tendency to run off. Our church was on Route 40 in New Carlisle, Ohio, on the old National Road. It was a rural area with the Tecumseh High School right across the street. So Mike and I have cleaned out the garage, the shed, and we're waiting for George to come with the dog. I look around the shed, preacher. George is standing there with an empty leash. I said, George, don't tell me. He says, yeah, Dad, he just took off. He just took off. It's Saturday. I have the responsibility of all the services the next day. And so Mike and George and I set out to try to find King. Now, it's a rural area. There's even farms next to us. And we started hollering, King, hey, here, boy, King, I'm walking in areas I never thought I was going to walk in. 
One time King passed me, doing about 80. I took off after him. I thought I was going to have a coronary. We couldn't catch him. He got away. Now, most of the day's gone. The sun's starting to go down, Brother Reynolds. I have a lot of responsibilities the next day. I said, listen, boys, we've done the best that we can. We've really looked for him. The rest is up to God. So we got in the house, got cleaned up, got ready for bed. I laid down on my bed. I looked up towards the ceiling. And I said, Lord, I know you have a plan for everything. Would you mind telling me what this was all about? And a sweet hush came upon me. I didn't hear the Holy Spirit, but there's a spiritual ear that he'll hear better than the physical ear when you're in tune with God. And the Holy Spirit said, now remember, I have a problem with a specific group of people loving them. He said, Walter, I want to teach you something. I said, Holy Spirit, teach me. I want to learn. He said, do you love that dog? I said, oh, Holy Spirit, you know how much I hate that dog. He said, do you love your pastor? Oh, Holy Spirit, you know how much I love my pastor. He said, Walter, you didn't look for the dog because you love the dog. You looked for the dog because you love the one who loves the dog. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And you know what? When you start investing, you know what? Where your treasure is. Help me. There will your heart be also. We invested time, energy, and effort in finding King. Now, here, here's missions. Here's the story. Here's the, you want to know the end of the story? Yeah. Okay. You sure? Do we have church tomorrow night, preacher? Remember what I said to the boys? We've done our best. Isn't that missions? Isn't that faith promise, Pete? Pastor Pete, we do, we do our best. And what did I say? We've done our best. The rest is up to who? God. The next morning, the high school across the street had opened the doors. They were airing out the school, getting ready to start school. My oldest son saw King run into a classroom. He cornered him and brought him home. God brought King back to us because we've done our diligent duty. Watch now. That's missions. We do our diligent duty. God does the rest. Faith promise is our diligent duty. Who is it that you have a hard time loving? I preached this message one time, Pastor Kevin, in a church. At the invitation, the 75, 80-year-old pastor was on his knees weeping. Later, I asked, preacher, we were friends. I said, preacher, what's going on? He said, my granddaughter is marrying somebody I don't want her to marry. I don't like him. But after, and, and he was invited to the wedding. He wasn't going. He was going to boycott it. He says, after this message, I'm going to the wedding. Y'all get this? How do you love what you find hard to love? By loving, first of all, loving the one who loves them and by investing in them. Heads about and eyes are closed and no one looking around. Love has action. Love does things. We know what the Good Samaritan did. He poured in oil and wine into the wounds. He gave the money to the innkeeper. He even gave extra to the innkeeper and said, I'll give you more when I come back. That's missions.